Newly Eberty is the art and state of being a woman, and I think that should be celebrated. My name is Michelle Lyons. Welcome to the Celebrate Newly Eberty podcast. Just a reminder, this podcast is for information only and not a substitute for consulting a healthcare professional. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. And oh my goodness, I have a treat for you today. I don't know where this conversation is going to go because we have not prepped. It's going to be very spontaneous. But I am delighted and honored to have my learned friend and colleague, Dr. Nicole Cozine, uh, join us from, is it sunny in California at the moment? It is sunny in California here today. This is great. (laughs) And there's been quite a little bit of a summer fog going on on these ocean areas. But yeah, it's sunny over here today. Gorgeous. It is not sunny in Ireland today. Well, actually, no, I lie. Today was probably the closest we've had to a sunny day. We've had the most torrential July. Beautiful May and June. July, it just has not stopped raining. So I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for, for August. But my goodness, it's been soggy. It's been very wet here. Little Nicole, deep. if, if yes. you are working in the field of pelvic rehab, people probably do not need any introduction to you um, because you are doing all the things. You have an amazing podcast that I look forward to twice a week. I don't know how you do it twice a week. Yeah. Um, you run a hugely successful clinic. And also there's the small matter of, you know, the best pelvic rehab conference on the planet, Pelvicon, heading into <laughs> Pelvicon 2023 in a few short day, a few short weeks. Um, how do you do it all? You know, I have a ton of help and a lot of support. <laughs> so it is not, it is not only me, but, um, and I think I'm really embracing that now that we have, I, for those of you who don't know, um, I have a six month old now at home. And so it just, it takes a village. It's it for any yeah. one person, um, that you see on Instagram or you think they're doing so many things. I mean, we are objectively doing a lot of things, but, um, it's not just me. So we have like <laughs> a really cool team at pelvic sanity. We just have uh, we have some admin help now at Public PT Rising. Nice. Um, my family super supportive. All the things. So, so that is really uh, the the secret sauce is is that it's not always what it seems when you're when you're on Instagram and you're only seeing me all the places. It's like I have time to do that because I have help. Yeah. But Michelle, when I heard you had this podcast, <laughs> I was like, it's about freaking time. So I'm really excited um, to be here. Aww. Thank you so much for having me. And I too am excited for where this conversation is going to go, because like Michelle said, we have no prep and I didn't, I didn't even, I had to resist my, my nerdy type A personality to be like, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, you know what? We're just going to free flow here. This is going to be great. Absolutely. There will be no citations necessary for this conversation. No references need apply. Yes. Perfect. So basically what I wanted to talk to you about, Nicole, was um, the state of our profession, you know, pelvic rehab, Um, I figure between the two of us, we can bring a fairly global perspective to this. But what are we doing well? You know, the profession has certainly evolved over the past, um, I would say over the past 10 years, particularly. I've really seen this big leap forwards. But I also feel that there's a lot of gaps um, and places where we need to to step up. You know, we're very fond of talking about stats like, oh, it takes 17 years for research to trickle down into medical practice where could we improve? You know, this is us taking taking a look at us and really stepping up to meet the needs of the next 10, 20, 100 years. But certainly we know, unfortunately, that the stats, for example, around incontinence are not getting better. 
you know, you can go back to 2000 and I think 2001, Brown study showing that one in two women are not participating in exercise because of incontinence. And then you look at Jody Dakota's study, 2022, you know, 20 years later, exactly the same stat, one in two women, it's still a barrier. So there are things that I think we need to do better. And I would love to hear your thoughts. What are we doing well, first of all? Let's start off yeah. with positive. Yes, let's start with positive. So here's where I think we're we're doing really well. I think we're really starting to embrace our role as, as a primary point of contact for people with pelvic health issues. I think that we are starting now to finally emerge into our own skin with hey, we actually do have the expertise, the, the backing, the, the medical wherewithal to, to help these patients navigate not just their symptoms, but the system that they're in. And, and I think that we're finally starting to be like, you know what? I actually don't need um, a doctor telling me exactly what to do. I don't agree with that recommendation that you're cleared, quote unquote, at six weeks postpartum, just because they're a physician. I think that we're starting now to finally, like I said, come into our own a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think we still have a a ways to go with that and and truly embracing what that means, um, because that brings up a lot of, of fear and a lot of wait a second, you know, am I really able to do this? You hear the words scope of practice um, thrown around a lot. Like, well, what is my role? Where, where do I fit in? And can I say that? What happens if I say that and it's not right? And so I feel like what we're really running up against is some of our own sort of deeply seated um, false narratives. We call them limiting beliefs, perhaps. Um, Jesse and I call them negative soundtracks of, oh, if I say this thing and it doesn't go well, then this is what this means. Um, so I feel like we are, we, but, but overall what we're really doing well, I think is, is starting to really decide for ourselves as a specialty profession, like, Hey, we have a huge integral role in the patient's life and at this specific point in the patient's symptom journey. And we have a role beyond just treating symptoms. And I think that, um, I think that that's really, really, really exciting. And I know that, that you talk a lot about, you know, the embracing of the biopsychosocial approach. And I feel like that's really where, where we're going and, and what we're starting to do really well is, is to realize that there that there's a person attached to the symptoms, that there's a person attached to why they're coming in right now um, versus why didn't they come 10 years ago? Why didn't they come five years ago? Why didn't they come two months ago? What is the impetus that brought them in t- to you right now? And that might be one of the most important things that we talk about. So I think we're doing a great job in breaking free from some of those shackles of, oh, a doctor has to tell me what to do. A doctor has to prescribe the therapy. A doctor has to give me a prescription for my expertise. That that sounds, it doesn't make sense to us anymore. And I think that that's exciting. That is a good thing. And I think, you know, I, I agree with everything that you just said. I think sometimes a limiting belief is the biggest barrier. It's not necessarily an external factor that is our biggest barrier to progressing well. It's, um, is it a little bit of imposter syndrome? Is it a little bit of, oh, 
you know, but you know, what I what I tell people to recommend is nobody ever died of a broccoli overdose. You know, if you tell people to eat more vegetables, pretty much, you know, it's a safe thing to say, you know, right. but it's not in my scope of practice. But you know, <laughs> just eat more right. plants. <laughs> you right. know, eat more plants. Okay. I, know. I was on the I was listening to this one podcast and some guy was um talking about, you know, nutrition advice. And he goes, Really, it all boils down to eat more plants, not that much, and every day. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's it like, is not rocket really science. It's really pretty simple. Yeah. You know, and I think so, I think actually so that I do think that's that you, what we're doing well. Uh no. I don't. I don't think that's what we're doing well. I think it's what we should be doing well. I think what we're doing well is I see people taking taking steps to put our profession out there and particularly on social media. And I know it's kind of like, you know, oh, I will say frowned upon possibly by some of the academics in our profession. Um, Mm -hmm. And I witnessed that firsthand at ICS in Vienna last year, where basically the, the premise was that real real pelvic health uh, physios do research and those who you know cavort on social media are letting the side down was very much one of the tones that I that I heard I think that's an essential place for us to get out there and talk about what we do because I see a growing number of our medical colleagues um, urologists gynecologists becoming slightly aware of what it is that we do beyond prescribing Kegel exercises. Um, But I think we have so much work to do. And if we are not out there talking about the, you know, the nuance at a a good level, who else is going to be out there giving false information? So I applaud people getting out there and putting putting good information out there on social media. And I see that improving. I see confidence in what we're doing improving, but I'd like to see more of us. Yes. I'm so glad you brought up the social media piece. Um, I've been hearing a little bit of chatter about that myself. I wish I would have been at that ICS meeting. I would have been like back to my old days of raising my hand being like, excuse me. Less of a question, more Um, of a comment. (laughs) Yes. More of a comment, please. Is this thing, is this thing on microphone? Tap, tap, tap. Um, you know, I, I, oh gosh. Okay. So I think deep breath. I think we are doing that well. And I think that there's people leading that pack on different platforms on YouTube and, and, and TikTok and, and I, and Instagram and Facebook. And I think that, that the people that are poo-pooing that, I think it's one of two things. They don't understand it and are Mm -hmm. quite frankly speaking out of their ass a little bit about the, (laughs) about the things, because I'm just like, what? hold on a second. Like you can't, if you're not on social media, then you can't be saying things about social media. Like yes. it's one thing if you have a hundred thousand followers and you are saying, I don't think we should be on here. I've seen the negatives that it can do, right. That would be powerful. But for the most part, um, you know, that's not happening. The people that are saying things about it, aren't on it and don't understand it. And for one thing or another, whether they don't um, they're just consuming it because I mean, mm-hmm. the reality is, is that the, the statistics are that I'm sure that they're consuming it. They're consuming it and judging it without actually having to put themselves out there and see what it's like to try to educate 
the public educate practitioners about their area of expertise. And I will say this as a content creator myself, like it is difficult. And there are times when it's like, Ooh, I distilled that down probably a little bit too much, got everybody's feathers ruffled and, and okay. Like that need, I, I get, I get why, right. I get why that's yeah. a thing. Cause there is nuance in what we do, but, and this is a big, but I think that exactly what you said is correct is that we do have a place. And if, if, if we're not on the forefront of all of these different platforms and keeping the, our finger on the pulse of where social media is going, then we're going to get lost in the dust of the yes. people that are doing it. And, and some people are doing it extremely well and some people aren't doing it as great, but I believe that, that that's where our clients are. That's where our patients are. That's where most people are getting information nowadays, right? Yeah. I feel like there was, um, there's statistics about how people are getting their news from Instagram and Twitter and have been now for years. And so the, the fact is, is that that is changing where we're getting our information is changing. So we have to be at the table and I do believe that we need to do it responsibly, but I, and, and there are limitations to what you can say, depending on what platform you're on based on the character limit that you have or where, what, what platform, you know, pushes more video content versus picture content, um, versus dance moves. Right. I mean, I feel like there are differences and challenges with each platform, but I feel like it's also our, essentially our professional responsibility to, if you're, if you are committing to be a pelvic rehab provider, then you also are committing to educating the public as best you can and whatever platform you want to. And if that's no platform, that's fine. But if it's Instagram, then you need to play Instagram's game to get people to pay attention. And I think that, you know, as we all get older, and I think this has been very interesting as well, but as we get older, the average age of our patients stays the same. So I feel like the tendency is to get real, like a curmudgeon and feet in the sand and being like, well, I'm not going to look at TikTok now. And it's like, well, You know, if you look at some of the history of the way that social media has sort of evolved over time, it used to be Facebook was the thing. Now it's used for only a small, narrow, you know, Facebook groups and, and all of that, right? That's not the platform that people share anymore. Instagram was a big organic content thing. And now it's moving more towards sponsored posts and reels and video content. And, and the way that we're using Instagram is different. Um, And then now there's TikTok and the way, and that's a huge organic reach now, uh, shorter videos, less captioned. So I feel like you have to say things in a different way, but you also have to say things in a way that people are going to consume them. If we care about educating the people about what we do as pelvic rehab providers, and we're going to screw up along the way and that's okay. Yeah, because we're human, but I love, I love that you address this as a responsibility. You know, um, I I do see a future and I hope it's in the not too distant future where this is actually taught in classes, you know, how be. to yeah. responsibly educate through social media, um, because I think we have a huge role to play here. Um, you know, if somebody, you know, it, it's oh, gosh, this is ongoing, I think, emotion, I think, with some physios that we are anti-medication and anti-surgery and I think that's really short-sighted you know because physios it's great but it's not the be-all end-all and ultimately to help people live well we have to 
collaborate and be collegiate. And I see, as I said, a lot, you know, Euro, Euro, urologists, urogynies, uh, gynecologists kind of reaching out because we forget that most people don't know what we do. You know, we think we're, we're super good at talking to each other about what we do in our closed groups. And um, we forget that people do not know. They don't know what physio is on a general level, never mind what pelvic rehab entails. And I think if we don't step up and, you know, kind of toot our own horns and look at the evidence that supports what we can do um, from a patient well-being perspective, but also, you know, from a, a fiscal perspective as well, like how much money could we be saving <laughs> nations around the world, yes. you know, in terms of global health initiatives? We, we do have, I think, a moral responsibility to get out there and put out responsible content and, and to spread that word a little bit. So I'm, yeah. I'm really glad to hear you say that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you look at some of the barriers to why someone wouldn't do that is if they just don't want to, that's totally fine. If that's not your, your cup of tea, then great. You would rather be blogging blog. Like you would rather not do anything. Don't do anything. But I, I think that where some people get hesitant and this, this conversation ends up, you know, kind mm-hmm. of becoming a little bit contentious this is where, well, you know, if you're having to distill down something to get someone's attention, to get somebody to like, um, and follow and comment and stuff like that, you know, at what point do we have a responsibility to be, uh, is that, can that be evidence-based practice? Can you have both things? And, you know, to that, I say, like, I don't think that every TikTok video or every Instagram reel has to have a citation that's backed it up. I mean, I really don't feel like that. If you want to be the person that does every single video and has based on a research article, there's plenty of things out there that could be your thing. You could do that. Um, I don't have that plot, that type of a platform. I believe things like anatomy, physiology can also be in and of itself evidence. Um, and I don't have to have a research article on every reel that I do now. Do I need to be responsible with what I'm saying? Sure. Do I need to use the platform in a way that is going to reach more people. So if I have a reel that goes semi-viral or gets a lot of comments and, and people I'm seeing in the thread aren't picking up what I was supposed to put down in that thing, do I have responsibility to either do another reel to clarify? Sure. Do I have a responsibility to go into stories and, and explain? Yes. Do I have a responsibility if it really, really, really got off the rails and people start getting icky in the comments? Do I have a responsibility to take it down? Maybe, you know, but I feel like there's, there's so much of that. Oh, what if something bad happens that's stopping us from just doing the thing? Um, And, and we have, it's it's such a great way to reach people on what we do that I don't want to let those fears or what is my, what are my colleagues going to say when actually I'm trying to speak to patients? Um, you know, I did a a series uh, like a while ago, well, well before, um, I went on maternity leave and stuff about like, can we just all lift each other up? 
can we just like all agree that if we're having a patient-centered post, that it doesn't have to be PT perfect, you know, it doesn't have to say the exact thing that's anatomically correct mm -hmm. or the exact thing that's going to, you know, be able to stand up against a debate against, you know, the best practitioners in the field. It's like, do I just want people to think about the fact that if they're only getting Kegels prescribed and that's all, then that's like maybe not the best use of our pel of pelvic rehab, that there's other things out there. Yeah. Like, so, and I can create a reel to, to depict that, to get patients to think or to get practitioners to think about the way that they're treating. And that's not a bad thing. And so I just feel like we just got to each carve out for ourselves. How do you want to use the, any platform if at all? And if, and, you know, kind of goes back to like what my mom used to teach me. It's like, if you don't have any, something nice to say, kind of don't say anything at all. <laughs> if you don't you know, like what? What I post, <laughs> yeah. keep scrolling on, you know, it's just like, have a, have a glass of wine and keep scrolling. There's no yeah. need to, to, we have enough issues in needing to, and this is what we could be doing better, right? Supporting each other yes. um, in our endeavors to educate the public, to educate other practitioners, to put ourselves out there a little bit more. We can be a little more supportive of each other um, in, in the case of something not going perfect. You know, I, yes. I hope that, that in the future, we can just realize that and then lift each other up so that we're collectively all educating on social media in the way that's going to reach the most people, because that's who we care about is that end user is the patient who has a pelvic floor symptom that doesn't know that pelvic rehab or pelvic physio can help. And that's who we're all here for. The end. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I think we're done here. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, yeah. that just, it sums it up perfectly, you know, be nice, like just play nicely with it, nice. with other people, support each other. Get the message out, help people live well, don't tear each other down. Um, yeah, and then, you know, you know, someone else was talking, I mean, my mom is like in her infinite wisdom was like, you know, you're the, reminded me of the phrase when somebody was yeah, it, being icky to me on social media, I, you know, she, she was just like, you know, Nicole, no one's ever criticizing you when they're doing more than you are someone's only criticizing if they're not doing as much as you. And so if they have time to do that, then, mm -hmm. then they're not out there as well. And so, you know, it's hard to, cause I, you know, I take, I do take it a, a big responsibility with it. And if somebody, sure. especially that's prominent in the field is, is saying something like, I do need to take a, a look at that. Um, and, and be like, oh, was that taken the wrong way? Or could I have done better in that way? You know, do I need to take it down? My, my answer is usually no, but I will, will, you know, do think about that in the future um, or respond appropriately and professionally in the comments. You know, I think that there's ways to navigate the conversation on social media yes. to engage with folks in the, in the appropriate way. That's going to, again, keep the end user which is the patient um, and how we treat patients at the forefront of our, of our mind. Absolutely. Um, and to do that in, in a professional and courteous and collegiate way, I think is, is really vital. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I thought this was going to go down a broccoli path to be honest, <laughs> like talking about introducing nutrition and thing and mindfulness, you know, into practice. Um, yeah. but this is why we didn't prep so we could keep right. it fresh. <laughs> yeah. So you're not always okay, up for so a chat about broccoli, but you know, I mean, right. this, this is good too. 
This is great too. So I feel like, well, we can go down that path. I mean, I think what else we're doing well is realizing to go back to that. I feel like we, as a group, we are realizing that we have other areas other than a joint mobilization or an exercise we can give or a soft tissue or a mobilization trigger point thing. in the left obturator internus. Right. And, and, you know, honestly, I feel like this is interesting because the, the longer I'm in practice, the more I realize as, as much of a manual based therapist as I am, as much as, as I would love for that to be the answer, I feel like I now use manual therapy as like a conduit into their mind, into their yes. behavior change, into yes. getting a, just a better sense of, and this is going to sound a yes. little woo-woo, but just getting a better sense of like, what does this person need right now? Yes. Where does the conversation go when I put my hand on their abdomen? What does their body feel like? What does their pelvic floor feel like when that happens? You know, that can, it really is more of a conduit into a biopsychosocial approach and maybe sure. get then talking about sleep patterns and nutrition and general movement. And I think that some of the things that um, are sometimes the most simple going back to basics are some of the most profound things because we're, we're so yeah. into, you know, oh, this is a complex thing. And therefore I need to have a complex answer. And sometimes the more complex the problem and the longer it's been there, the more basic your intervention needs to be. To um, break that cycle. Yeah. To break the cycle. uh, Yeah. And to gain trust. Absolutely. And I think manual therapy, um, I, I'm a firm advocate of manual therapy because I think it's one of the, the most important ways that we can have a conversation with somebody's nervous system and just to reintroduce that sense of safety in their own body. Um, I think it's absolutely vital and I know, again, on social media, the, there are the manual therapy haters out there. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, for as long as I have breath left, I will advocate for manual therapy, particularly in pelvic rehab, because, mm. you know, how many people have proprioceptive awareness of those pelvic structures that, that we are very, very familiar with? <laughs> A big zero. Yeah. Um, but big I zero. also think, I think as well, like as we learn more about things like central sensitization and nociplastic pain and multi-site pain, almost like kind of like that fibromyalgia type presentation where we've got widespread pain, um, where we do start to see mood disturbances and bowel disturbances that are more psychogenic than, than purely somatic. Um, and we start, we have to talk about sleep and we have to talk about mood. If we have basic skills in addressing you know, food and mood, for example, um, that's that's a really great way, along with manual therapy. I think manual therapy is a huge role to play in people with central sensitization, because, again, we're breaking that cycle. We're looking for non-nociceptive, non-threatening ways yes. to start getting getting back into your body and just to rewire that conversation. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think manual therapy does more than it says on the label. You know, it's, it's not just about the trigger points. (laughs) It's totally, but, but Michelle, won't you create a dependent patient? I mean, I think that's where the conversation typically goes. Right. And it's like, it's not about the intervention. It's how you present the intervention to the patient. And so I feel like some people will need manual therapy interventions longer than somebody else. Maybe not because they're fascia is more tight, quote unquote, or because they're, you know, 
trigger point on their obturator internus <laughs> and the posterior <laughs> half of it, it is the problem. Mm-hmm. But but because they need more time to create a sense of trust and safety in a practitioner. And you can provide that via manual therapy. And if you happen to get a talking to the nervous system through the obturator internist, then freaking wonderful. Then stay there for a little longer. You know, I feel like that's sort of where we need to think about that. Um, And one of the Mm -hmm. biggest, um, but way back in PT school, I graduated in, I graduated in 2006. So I was going to PT school from 2003 to 2006. And one of the practitioners that came in, that I remember everybody, we had like this complimentary and alternative medicine class. Um, and in it were things that I recommend quite frequently today, right? Like acupuncture mm-hmm. and, and one of the people that had came, came in was a healing touch practitioner. Uh-huh. So not a manual based therapist, but this person that would literally just pl- place hands almost like a, a Reiki, like a Reiki. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and I was like this chick is wackadoodle, <laughs> right? I was like, no way. And then, but she, she stayed after and said, if anybody wants to feel what this work is like, feel free. So I was like, okay, meh, meh, meh. I go in there and I'm like, who's she, who's this person, right? Me, you know, of course, typical PT, Nicole is like, I know everything. <laughs> Even though I know I've only been in this field for le- negative two years. And I felt so relaxed after she literally just put her hand, I think like on my forehead and on my chest and she was saying some words to me. I'm sure she had me do some deep breathing or something. And I felt so relaxed. I did the best test I had ever taken that next day. And I was like, I'm feeling that like, something about mm. that presence <laughs> and that close proximity and that co-regulation that we had had that yes. day, you know, now I can look back and be like, oh, her nervous system was grounded. Mine wasn't, I was stressed out student, but I fed off that. And she was able to, to talk to my nervous system and calm it down in such a way Then I was like, huh? So sometimes I go back to that, that there's actually quite a bit of evidence for healing touch type practices. And I'm sure they don't know how, what the mechanism is. And I'm sure that if we fast forward 25 years, we're going to find that it's all nervous system based. Um, But that doesn't mean that our interventions are wrong or that we're going to create a dependent patient. I think it's all about how we present that and how we use that um, for the patient in front of us um, in that way. So for sure. And I also think, um, you know, I think that that's a that's a great illustration of the point, because I also feel that the whole concept of wellness gets a little poo pooing from. I know I know you also are a proponent of wellness yes. because like if we actually think about it, if we're not living in wellness, like what is the point? First of all, Seriously. Um, it's more than the absence of disease. Surely that's why we're Seriously. here. Yes. I mean, I get my car serviced, you know, go it to gets the dentist. Tune up. Totally. <laughs> really, why, why are we not, you know, really embracing this concept of well, of health and wellness, rather than just being problem solvers and just waiting for problems to crop up so we can play whack-a-mole with them, 
you know? Yeah. You know, I think this goes under the category of areas that we need to do better. Well, <laughs> as a, perhaps. As a um, I think that we do need to, I think we need to grapple with what does that mean to us? And I think that I, at least in the United States, and I'd be really interested to hear um, what your all's training is um, to be a physio in Ireland and, and across the pond there. But, but in the United States, we have a capitalistic based insurance working module that incentivizes getting, I just did a post on this today, actually getting people better, faster. That means you are a better therapist, the less you see your patient and the more that you, um, get, get them out of your office and, and on the downslope of their, of their symptoms, right? So their symptoms don't even have to be gone, but as soon as you see that they might be gone, like, it's like, cool, we need to get them out of our office. And, and I think that, that this thing that's, that's really ingrained from insurance companies, quite frankly. And I honestly think it comes in, in PT school. I can't really speak to OT school. Um, and I don't, and I've spoken with a couple of OTs and they actually don't have the couple of OTs that I've spoken with about this. They don't have this sort of oh. identity crisis, which is, I, I, we need to dive into more of that. Like, what is their different training? Um, and why don't they have this thing? But, but PTs are like, work yourself out of a job all the time and get your patient out the door so we can get another patient in. And, and I really feel like that's in PT school that's ingrained and from an insurance-based mindset of finite amount of visits, don't overutilize services. We have to be skilled quote unquote mm-hmm. in what we're doing. And to me, I'm always like, you know, I, I have this doctorate level education. It's in my brain. So literally anything that I do is, is skilled. I can look at someone, watch it and do an exercise. And my brain is going to go to their movement patterns, their, their things that that is a skilled thing. So I'm, I can watch them do exercises in a skilled way. I can, I can facilitate that. So I don't really understand like where this skilled physical therapy comes in, unless you look at some of the insurance lingo that we have to play the game with most of the time. And most of us have been, um, you know, essentially brainwashed to believe. And so I think that we really have to grapple with what's our role. Mm-hmm. And if we say that wellness is, is our role, it's you know, right in our, you know, APTA has a, a thing about what physical therapists do. And it is the promotion of wellness, um, movement and, and all the things. And so it's like, they say it. So why don't we believe it? And what's our role? And is our role then we have to get comfortable treating people, quote unquote, treating people or seeing people in the absence of symptoms. And I, what I find over and over again, when I do my clinical mentorship, when I do business mentorship is that people are, are releasing people too soon mm-hmm. because they're worried about overutilizing services and people when left to their own devices are not going to do the things. I think people come to pelvic therapy, pelvic rehab for other things other than symptom resolution, they come for accountability, they come for education, they come for knowledge, they come for safety, they come for a bunch of different things. Yeah. And we can also add in the fact that we can provide a, a picture of their health, their pelvic health and their health in general, that that is something that they can't even see when they first come in. So they see, I just need to stop leaking and we need to get them to see, Hey, I can actually help you to do 
whatever it else it is you want to do, run, jump, play with your kids, do a marathon, hike, like whatever. And like, that is wellness. It's, and I, I think it's the easiest depicted in, in sexual wellness, right? So if someone comes in with painful penetrative intercourse, sometimes our first mindset is to just get the pain to go away. But once they're, once they're on that trajectory, we need to start weaving into the fact that like, Hey, I can also potentially help you with your orgasm. We can have sex in different positions. We can do all of these different things. You can have sex by yourself. Like there's a ton of different ways for sexual wellness to come into play. Yes. And then where, where are we in that? And how comfortable are we talking about those things? And then a lot of times then we come back to, well, how are we comfortable charging for that? Are people going to pay? And the answer is absolutely yes. If we're confident that we can provide that yes. value. And I think, I think that's a really, you know, I, I realize you were talking specifically about sexual health, but I think that's a really good paradigm because we're moving from a place of just tolerating it, which is never really acceptable to actually enjoying it, you know, right, and optimizing. And I, I want to yeah. kind of get this word. I feel like in the do better category, it needs to be, we need to get the, the words optimize the system back into yes. our daily, uh, verbiage because when you yeah, talk about our goal setting something yes yeah. it's not it's not just getting it okay it's not just getting it tolerable it's not just getting it in the absence of dysfunction it's actually yeah. saying like what can we do to tweak this thing so we can really do some cool stuff um yeah whether that's an orgasm or running a marathon or you know being able to pick up your you know to to enjoy living life with young children you know could you do everything with enjoyment without fear, you know, and, and yes. move from just being able to tolerate it? Yes. And, you know, I, I love Michelle that you go into the realm of talking about menstrual health and wellness and like talk about how abysmal our pelvic health, menstrual health education is in for sure the United States, but I'm assuming mm-hmm. where you are as well. Yeah. And so like, where can we not move into those things also? Like, you know, if someone comes into my office because they have the urgency frequency of urination with a threatened diagnosis of IC, but their menstrual health is something that they've never paid attention to and tracked. And we could be, I mean, not only do we have the responsibility to do that because endo and IC are so linked and stuff, but even if you didn't know that, like, Mm -hmm. Can we optimize the entire pelvic health of that patient? The entire person. The entire person. (laughs) And I think that that's really where we need to do a lot better and really grapple individually and then collectively as a group with what's our role and what is, you know, best practices for that. And and what can we expect? Because if we have a prior, uh, uh, Jesse and I get nerdy and call this like a prior. If our prior is, is that we should be doing, focusing on optimizing the system, mm-hmm. then suddenly seeing people for only four visits or only six visits. I mean, that's not even a full menstrual cycle, two menstrual cycles. You know what I mean? So it's like, where, where's our role exactly. in that? And that's going to end up playing into what the average length of care is for a patient. And then if they don't, if, if for that individual person, they don't need or want that, then that's, that's a totally different thing, but we need to have yeah. like, uh, 
a, a paradigm in which it shifted to this. The end goal is not just absence of dysfunction. The end goal is you're walking out at our clinic anyways, our, some of our attendants are, you're walking out a better person mm-hmm. with a better pelvic health and a better overall sense of self. Um, I love that's it. what we do at pelvic sanity. And like, that doesn't happen in four visits. <laughs> that's for sure. You know, and again, to, to be able to build those lifelong relationships with people as well, and to develop that, that therapeutic alliance that we know is so important that you become a trusted source of health and wellness. Yes, to deal with any problems that crop up, but also like to keep you sailing in the right direction and, totally. and to become that, that central prof- healthcare professional who not only has the skills and the knowledge and the evidence, but the time and the willingness That's to be right. able to have these conversations. Um, you know, it's people come in with one problem, but it's never just one problem, is it? You know, because there's a no. whole person attached to that vagina. And uh, you've got to deal with that person and their story, their history, their journey and their hopes and dreams and their goals. And that's where I think goal setting becomes really, really important and honest conversations about timelines um, and then working with people where they're at. Absolutely. You know, the other thing that I'll just say about this, interestingly, if you look back at kind of like, where, where does this come from? Why are we, why, why is this so challenging for us? And I don't know how this is where uh, in Ireland and stuff, but yeah. Do you guys have like this, this love hate relationship with chiropractors where you are? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but I will say this, the chiropractic field as a whole has really done a great marketing job in yes, getting, they have. When you say like low back pain. You're like, oh my gosh, my chiropractor said this, you know, I have a headache. I need to go in and ask my chiropractor. And it's like, you know, what, whatever you believe about how chiropractors practice. And I'm sure there's just like a continuum with us. There's good, there's bad, there's evidence-based, there's not all the things. That's a whole nother podcast for a different day. But (laughs) what I want people to pay attention to is that, that, that feeling of when somebody says like, I'm just going to go ask my chiropractor, what is the matter with my foot? Even though if you saw, if they were seeing them for their spine, that's what I want for us. You know, the other day someone called pelvic sanity and they said, you know, one of your therapists, um, looked at my knee and really helped my knee pain go away as part of the pelvic health thing. And my other knee is really bothering me now. And so can I see her for that? And I was like, yes, yes, you can, can. Yes, you can. <laughs> because I was like, we're physios first, we're pelvic floor physios second. And I was like, that person called our office because they trust my therapist this is and what, what I mean. she has to yeah. say. And she trusts that if there is something more specific going on with the knee joint itself, that we're going to know who to send them to and what to do and, and all the things. And so I was like, that was like the best. That's what I want. I want us to be the new generation chiropractor in our own way. Right. For sure. The trusted people what's going on. Let me ask my pelvic health physio. They know everything. You know, (laughs) I, I have no notes. I would co-sign that quite happily. Co-sign, done. We need to write a bill or something. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just feel like that's another area where where we need to do better and and figure out what does that mean for you? And then also, like I always talk about doing a pretty like introspective look, like does what you say out loud, like everybody could be like, yes, I agree, I agree, I agree. And then if you go back on Monday 
what are you doing? And <laughs> what are you actually doing? Like yeah. how long are you actually seeing your patients for? Are you, and then you can start to see what's limiting you from, from practicing in this ideal way. Mm-hmm. And then, then, then we're now we're at a, what do we do about that? You can stay in a model that, that, that is, does limit. And how can you be the best you can be in that model? That's mm-hmm. great. That's fine. We need people there. But then also, I think that's one of the reasons why we're in a, in the United States anyways, in this sort of cash-based wave, yeah. um, out of network wave, because we're starting to finally see, um, that there are other factors that are limiting what are, what we're able to do with patients. And most of that is seeing patients for a longer period of time. And I know mm-hmm. you and I talked about that on our podcast, um, uh, most recently, but, uh, that I would, I don't know when it's going to come out and stuff like that, but we talked about the giving the gift yeah. of time to patients. Absolutely. Um, and that's one of the things that, that we really need to sort of sit with and, and why can't we spend that much time with people and yeah. who's responsible for who, that? And like, what are we going to do about that? Who says we can't first of all, you know, and yeah, exactly. What are you, what are we going to do about it? And I know kind of shining a light on, on the pros and to be fair and on the cons of being a cash-based business in the U S you know, it's, it's not all rosy in the garden. It does take, you know, kind of circling back to where we started, you know, you've got to have your social media game on, you've got to have, you've got to be able to do all the things and look after yourself as well. So it's, it's not that it's, you know, um, the promised land, but certainly in terms of autonomy and independence and redefining the profession, do you feel it's probably the way to go in, in the US particularly? I just can't see another way with the way that if you historically look at the way reimbursement is consistently decreasing yeah, and our patients are not getting any different or healthier when they're starting to come to us, if anything, the stress of the world and all the things are making our patients come in even been sicker. Um, and so I feel like with those two things, just at odds, I don't see a way where, where we can, we can provide the level of service that we know that hits all the things that we were just talking about time optimizing that, you know, being able to treat the whole person, the whole body, all that stuff, connecting like that takes time. And I just don't see a model where that's not going to be a thing. Now, you mentioned cons and one of the big cons to a, uh, private pay sort of, of place is that, yeah, there are going to be people that in that model, the more that we go towards that, that are going to be, that actually can't afford that model. And, and, Mm. and that's what we're going to have to grapple with. Um, I think as a society and what are we going to do about that and whose responsibility is that and all the things, but I do think that's why it's important that, that we have, this mindset, regardless of how, which setting you're in, we have the most freedom in yeah. a cash-based model. You have some less freedom, but it's the freedom is not zero when you're in a, an insurance-based model. And so I feel like to push those boundaries a little bit and start to continue to fight for change in where you're at so that- mm-hmm are you're working within a system so you can still serve patients in the best way. I don't think that, you know, just because I have a cash practice, I don't think that everybody should, should go that direction. I do feel like there's tons of pros and we've chosen to do that. And many leaders in the field have chosen to go outside of the insurance-based system 
because we've seen this happen over time. But that doesn't mean that that every other person that's in an insurance-based model is is bad or or wrong or anything like that. I think it's necessary and I think it's going to yeah. continue to be necessary, but I would still challenge the individual working in whatever system you're working in to really think about pushing the boundaries and having those same mindsets, um, even if you're limited by the system. So yeah. I and think to, that- to push, but push back. Push back push a little back bit because and the, the people from Aetna do not know <laughs> what what the needs of the patient Correct. are. <laughs> I think that that comes from like a little bit of confidence that we need to have in our in yourself and our profession that like people will pay attention if you show them that there is another way. And so I yeah. feel like, sure, you might come into an absolute roadblock and that's okay. But man, push right up against that roadblock. Don't stop assuming that you can't get there just because. Yeah. Um, so I really encourage everybody to just, you know, really push the bounds a little bit and and get a little feisty sometimes. Um, and and just and and all within helping our patients get the best care um, that we sure. can possibly provide. Wow. Yes. Okay. Lots to process there. Um, Lots to process. Let us change direction just ever so slightly. Yes. And talk about, we have to talk about PelvicCon because I can't wait and I'm super excited about it. And so many cool things happening at PelvicCon. Um, you know what? It, it was such an amazing event to be a part of last year. Um, I suspect it's going to be even bigger and better this year. Um, how are all the preparations going? How are you doing in the midst of all of this? Because I know it's a ton of work. It's so much work. So just to give a little uh, story down memory lane here, right? So um, I am a, a, a physio that has a cash practice in Orange County, California. I partnered with Dr. Jessica Rial, who has a cash practice in, called Southern Pelvic Health in Atlanta, who I believe, who, yeah, who was on your podcast talking yes. about bowel health. Um. So Jessica and I have known each other for a lot of years. And one day she came to me and she was like, you want to run a conference? And I was like, I was thinking about <laughs> doing something like that. I just didn't have the time. And we're like, well, we can both join forces and put on this amazing thing. So we, it's, everything that we do is very intentional. We really try to create, to fill a void of what we were like, we, what is, if we could design like the best possible conference, like what aspects of it would it have? What would it not have? And we tried uh -huh. to create that. So PelvicCon 2022 was our first one. It was a smashing success. It sold out in the first couple minutes. We had to switch venues, which was very stressful, but we did it. We were able to double our initial uh, number of people coming. There were 400 people coming to that one. This one is going to be over 600 people. Um, wow. And it's going really awesome. We, you know, there's a lot of pressure. I feel like in some ways there's more pressure on this Pelvicon um, the second year. It's the difficult second album. <laughs> Yikes. I know. I feel like Taylor Swift being like, is this one going to be okay? Um, because everyone has like a lot of expectations. There's yeah. a lot of people coming that heard about Pelvicon, but weren't there. And so yikes. So Jessica and I are having a good dose of anxiety over it. Um, we have to ground ourselves quite frequently to be like, it's going to be fine. We're going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Yes. Um, but I think that uh, we're so excited and we're so excited to have you come back and speak. Um, and then this year, uh, Michelle's going to be speaking on 
uh, living well after hysterectomy, which I think is going to mm-hmm. be a really awesome um, talk. And it's going to dovetail nicely with um, Nira's talking about abdominoplasty. So yes. this like post-surgical sort of role that we have, I think that we sometimes forget as pelvic physios. Um, yes. That there is a role after that surgery is not the worst thing ever for some folks. And so, absolutely. um, so I think that's going to be great. Um, and you're also talking about the evil triplets of pelvic pain. I see penile and endo, which Indeed. I'm super excited to hear what you have to say about that, but yeah, it's, it's going really well. And I think that the slate of speakers, um, oh, this year is yeah. going to be just so, I, awesome. you know, I mean, it's just so life-giving to talk to you guys about stuff and like, hear what you guys have to say. And it's just so great. But I, I love it, the fact that everyone's on, you know, a 40 minute slot. And so you have to really distill the essence of what's important in there. Yes. But my goodness, you know, you've got such a great lineup. I, I just listened to the podcast interview that you did with Munira this morning. Oh, and yeah. When I was, oh, so good. And, okay. you know, I love Jake's and Yenny's and you've got, you know, you've got Jessica Drummond, you've got Taryn Hallam. Um, uh, it's just, it's such an amazing yeah. lineup again this year. And the topics, I think. Yeah are so pertinent. Um, I'm, I'm really actually looking forward to Sarah Reardon's uh, panel because I think that's going to tie in nicely with what we discussed in the first half of our chat here. Yes. Um, but what I loved most about Pelvicon last year was just the, the atmosphere. The knowledge bombs, of course, were amazing. But the atmosphere and the, the support and the friendships, I think, that were forged, um, it was just it was phenomenal to see. And it was, I've, never, I've never been at a conference like that before. You yeah, know, where where people had fun. Yeah. And people we we're really trying to make it that that was it's so it was so cool to get some of the reviews back with Jessica after that because it really was something that we were striving for and very intentionally. And it was just so cool to see that, like, oh my gosh, like they picked up what we were putting down. This is so amazing. Yes. And this year we decided to go with a tagline called It Starts With Us. And I think mm-hmm. kind of along with what we're talking about today with like the state of our profession globally, I think that, you know, it does start with us. Like we have to understand where we are. We have to understand where we've come from. We have to understand understand where we're going in order to be the best for our patients. And it does start with us in those, in that way. It's not everybody individually. It's, it's us as a collective group. Yeah. And there's also going to be a, a, a sprinkled in there, um, clinicians lunch that Jessica and I are going to talk about, about longevity in the field and mm. burnout and making sure that it starts with us means that sometimes we do have to take care of ourselves so that we can help our patients. Absolutely. Um, because no one wants to hear about that. You know, when every poll that we do on what should, what should we talk about at Pelvicon there, we always do like some sort of like, oh, burnout and, you know, longevity in the field. And no one ever says that they want that, but they all, the that, they all need it. And the <laughs> questions at Pelvicon last yes. year, some of the speakers, do you remember, were all things around boundaries. And what do I do if this complex patient is doing this thing? And yes. I feel so, I feel such a weight on me with these people. Yes. And, and it's super important in our field. And there's a high level of, of anxiety and burnout in our field. Um, and we need to address that head on. If we're talk about what we need to do better, we need to take care of ourselves a little bit better. Yes. Um, Just for, for clarity though, everybody yeah. who's listening here, there were no boundaries talking about our orgasms. 
Right. Not, not at all. Right. We <laughs> talked about whether it was an avalanche, <laughs> volcanoes, right. tsunamis. Volcanoes. <laughs> right. Yeah. We no boundaries when we're talking about sexual pleasure. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> totally. So, so yeah, it has so sold out. It has sold out. Uh, but folks, out. you know, I mean, so it means that you're not going to get cool swag. See, I still have my pelvic on water bottle here with me. Ooh, it goes everywhere it with right me. Um, it has sold out, but you can access the recordings. So I'm going to pop a link uh, in the show notes below here, because honestly, I still go back to my Pelvicon manual from last year. You know, yes. um, I was talking, you know, to somebody about an issue. And I'm like, hang on, I have a resource on that. Let me go back and just flip through here. Um, and it was just every detail was taken care of. And, you know, it was it was it was a joy to be a part of. And, and again, super excited. Less than two months away, six weeks from now, roughly. Yeah, it's, I think. it's coming up. I mean, this is like crunch time for Jessica and I. Um, yeah. We were just in Atlanta. We did a walkthrough of the facility. It's going to be awesome. Um, but us. also to piggyback on the recording. So it's, yeah. it's available um, early bird pricing until, um, I feel like I forget when, but the it's first, first of September, yeah. I think. Sure. Um, <laughs> double check. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> check the website. Um, but also, uh, you will get a uh, digital copy of the manual, which includes everyone's uh, PowerPoint presentation Amazing. and references and all that stuff. So it's a really great resource. It's um, we're really the excited next best thing. Uh, to be putting it. Yeah. Next best thing. Well, look, I hope you spend plenty of time over the next six weeks or whatever we've got left to really take good care of yourself because you are going to be on. Yes. Um, in September and it'll be here before we know it I'm super excited I I just don't even know where to start in terms of thanking you for the wisdom and the knowledge bombs that you dropped during this Aww. chat because I hope people will be fired up after hearing this and realize that we have so much to give we do have to look after ourselves and our own boundaries as as you mentioned but there's so much that we can do to help people live well and I'm, I'm really just pleased to be part of this journey with you yeah, so, I am. So, I mean, I hope you can hear the passion in my voice, all the listeners that I really feel excited about where our profession is going. And it's just going to be super fun to see where it all leads over the next 10 years or so. Dr. Nicole Cozine, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks for, for everybody else me. who's listening. Take what, you, take what Nicole said on board, please. <laughs> do, do the work for yourself, for the people that you serve live well, help other people live well, and follow Nicole on Instagram. Pelvic Sanity is where all the good stuff is happening. And again, Pelvicon recordings, I'll pop the link into the show notes below. Otherwise, I will see you in September, Nicole. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you prefer to watch, all the videos of the interviews will be uploaded onto YouTube. If you'd like to learn more, there's a full suite of online courses on women's health, including courses on female pelvic pain rehab, female hormonal health, oncology rehab, and more. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Michelle Lyons underscore for special offers and announcements. Until the next time, celebrate Muleyeverty. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.